Welcome back, everyone. And what is it about the future that makes us, on one side, so excited, but on the other side, uh, somewhat anxious? And if ever there were a time in humanity where anxiety is reaching a peak in terms of what does the future look like, or uh, AI robots going to be taking over the world, is there going to be a planet to inherit, or will it be full of plastic with a temperature peaking at 50 to 60 degrees? Uh, or what are we going to do for a living? Is What is the role for humanity as we move forward? And I think today uh, we have the perfect, the perfect guest to be talking about all things future and all things uh, humanity. Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn what it takes to turn your dream into reality. Don't be afraid to dream big. But remember, dreams without gold are just dreams. This is The Few with Boo. G'day, John Asane. Uh, welcome to the show. I tell, you, I tell you what, John, I'm super excited. And, I, and you're a sharp-looking man, I've got to say. Look at that. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. <laughs> Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to the chat. So, John, the future. Uh, there's always been a propensity for human beings to be excited by the future, whether it's uh, fortune tellers, uh, whether it's reading the bones or the tea leaves. There is just something fascinating about the future. What is it about the future that gets humans so excited and it becomes such a source of conversation, even though it doesn't even exist yet? Well, look, I, I think the thing is, I don't think people are, are, are excited about the future. They're excited about controlling the future. Everything you just mentioned, going to psychic, throwing bones. It's about the need to control it, have an absolute outcome, almost an addiction to certainty. And so I think that's what people are trying to do when they're speaking about the future. They're trying to figure out how they need to prepare, what they need to do and what it's going to look like. But unfortunately, in today's world, and we'll talk through it in today's interview, there are just far too many domino effects that are taking shape. We have everything from education to religion to patriarchy to the economic situation, the political system, the convergence of technologies and new alien intelligence as AI arriving. It just seems far too uncertain for us to have any level of certainty. And I think that what most people have always done for the last hundreds of years is look at certain tools that give them that solace about the future. But all those tools don't seem to be working anymore. And uh, we need new tools to, to understand how to prepare for this, for this unbelievably different future. It's like we've tripped offline. It's like the, the, the pinball machine. We, we've reached tilt all of a sudden, almost like we, we consume with so much information. I was reading, reading uh, the other day a little bit about uh, our ability to process information and, and a, our perceptions are predominantly negative before we even consume information. 80 to 90% of our sentiment is negative. Uh, and then when we consume the information, we unfortunately tend to go and find information that just reinforces that negative sentiment. However, when we look at the future and it's a holiday or a promotion or a, a, in your TED talk, you talk about uh, more, more in the future. Uh, we just don't seem to be able to, to get comfortable with that yin and yang between a future that is hopeful and a future that's, I guess, kind of kind of desolate. Uh, how do? Why is it? Why is it so? Why is it that we just find it so difficult to just be calm now and just accept what whatever the future brings? So it's a great question, and we can see that we are struggling because the pharmaceutical industry has tripled in value over the last twelve years. People are medicating away their anxiousness, their sort of this fear of the unknown. And through my research, I've started to realize that actually what has happened to us is we have had anxiousness and fear baked into the system. Let me explain. For 10,000 years in the agricultural era, we had simple rules. The rules were follow your forefathers, follow the seasons and work the fields for 12 to 16 hours a day and you'd be successful. And for 500 generations, for 10,000 years, there was no stress. There was no analytical thinking. There was no knowledge uptake. It was just a very simple set of rules. 
And then we arrive in the Industrial Revolution, and the Industrial Revolution says to us, look, all the rules that you followed in the agricultural era have become irrelevant because we have uh, sort of created our own new powers, source of power, like steam engine and combustion engine, all those things. So the rules went from follow your forefathers to follow the system. They went from understanding the seasons to becoming analytical and logical in your thinking. And it went from working the fields to develop your IQ. Now, everything inside the Industrial Revolution has got something in it that's about a deadline because the focus mm -hmm. of the Industrial Revolution is efficiencies and profitability at all costs. And so from school, the system where we had to pass exams, had to pass tests, and if we didn't, we would have to stay back a whole year. And so we used to cram ourselves into the system, not our own delight, our own fascination, our own excitement. None of that was important. It was how much you could fit into the system. Now you take your brain that is fully creative and fully open and fully lateral, and then you squeeze it into a system. And now you say to the system, look, you have a deadline every week. You have an exam coming up. You have tests coming up. You have all this pressure on you. So what happens is that from a very young age, what we do is we prepare for danger. And this danger has become baked into our system and our perspective as we start to deal with the world around us. But the truth is, is that the whole idea of this danger is only based on one thing, on our brainwaves. And the brainwave that we have engaged with as a global human society is a brainwave called a high beta brainwave. And a high mm -hmm. beta brainwave says, high focused, I'm addicted to certainty, my, my eye is on the ball, on the end result, and I'm gonna fuel myself with adrenaline so that I can lift my energy and get to the end result. Nothing it's almost to do with a high right? beta brainwave. It's impossible to be looking forward to an uncertain future with excitement if you're coming from a high beta brainwave. Impossible. Mm -hmm. Because a high beta brainwave tells you your body that anything that is not in your control is fearful. Mm. And so what do we do? We go into deep, deep OCD or planning and trying to control everything. But here we are in a world where everything is out of control. There is absolute chaos. We are moving from the industrial era to the quantum era. The rules are in flux. It's no more about following a system. The system itself is crumbling. So now it's about- I, I don't think people understand that. Now no. it's about- well, I, 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 think, I think there's a- It's their comfort zone, right? Yeah, I think they understand it in terms of, a, of conceptually, but I think the fact that it's not something that's landed at a spiritual level is, is this constant overwhelm and exhaustion and fatigue. But people sort of talk around it that it's not there, but I, I certainly- perceive i'm interested to get your opinion that the world generally as you walk around as you feel the service at a restaurant as you talk to somebody at a retail as you people are even too exhausted for dinner parties like there's just this nah, i just am so exhausted which it sounds like is this whole leaning into beta waves just trying to solve the unsolvable problem so so i think the thing is is that people are waking up fatigued and exhausted and this shows us that we have a system that's keeping us on a treadmill and the future requires us to be individual and lateral, not a treadmill. So for 200 years, the high beta brainwaves actually worked really well because it fitted into the system of the economies of scale. But because the crumbling is only just beginning, and remember that a transformation of any sorts always has three phases to it. It has the sad, the strange, and the adventure. We're in the sad and the strange. We've just left mm. the shore of familiarity over the last few years. We've just left our comfort zones. We've been pushed out of the identities that we've been building for the last 40, 50 years. And now we have to start this journey towards the strange new world where we are not who we are supposed to be. The world is not quite what it needs to be. And so we are all in a state of flux. Now, the best mm. thing we could be doing, and maybe the only thing we should be doing, is not focusing on psychological up uh, leveling. And I'll tell you why is because I think psychology for the last hundred years since Carl Jung and Freud came into the picture really helped us in an immense way in a stable world. I ask my audiences around the world, who here has read Brenner Brown? Who here has read Atomic Habits? Who here has read Simon Sinek? Who mm -hmm. here has watched all the TED Talks? We've done all of those things, but people are still anxious. People mm -hmm. are still fearful, which means that reading and engaging with software, which I call psychology, isn't 
good enough and quick enough. So what we need to be doing is neuroscience, hardware changes. And again, the brainwave of beta is accessing only a very small slither of your brain. And so what we have to do is move ourselves into an alpha brainwave. And in an alpha brainwave, we wide awake, we focused, we lateral in our thinking, but we relaxed. And this is the key, is that our hearts are not in a panic and our brains have got clarity. In a state of absolute flux and uncertainty, your superpower is staying calm. So how do you go about changing your brainwaves? There's only two ways that we're seeing around the world that we can start to see our changing our brainwaves. One is meditation, because meditation helps us rewire and refire. Two, the use of psilocybin magic mushrooms. Both of these under a brain scan <laughs> do exactly the same thing to your brain. They help you rewire your brain. Which is your preferred your methodology, right? Both at the same time. <laughs> and so when you start to... <laughs> Depends which country I'm in when you're asking me that question. Um, so, so it all depends on how we can rewire our brain as quickly as possible, increase our elevation and our consciousness to see something new in the future. And I'll leave you with two quotes here. The first quote is from Einstein. He says, you cannot solve a problem from the same awareness that created it. Mm. And so what we have is a level of awareness. And our awareness is a high beta brainwave awareness. Our awareness is an industrial revolution awareness. We can't see the wood for the trees from this level of awareness. When we increase our awareness, new possibilities show up that are not available to us in this level of awareness. Two, Alvin Toffler, he says, the illiterate of the 21st century are not the ones who cannot read and cannot write, but the ones who cannot unlearn to relearn. And so this mm. idea of unlearning to change your awareness becomes the only thing as human beings that we must focus on with imperative speed as AI becomes more and more ubiquitously surrounding us and starting to change the world around us. Is it not the fact that whilst we need to build that awareness of our alpha waves and create the space to do that, that something, and I'm just holding my smartphone up to the camera right now, is actually conditioning and training those beta waves again. That that this this device, I was reading a research paper the other day, a young kid had a had a brain injury. So he was regularly having fMRI scans and pre and post COVID. His cerebellum had shrunk about 36%. Uh, and his uh, primal, uh, his amygdala and his primal structures had grown. Uh, and his screen time had grown phenomenally. Now it's, it's not a, uh, it's a theory. There's no direct link here, but, but there is a, I believe, a passivity that we are now experiencing as humanity. We are being we are being pacified by information, not knowledge. And this passivity and conditioning is actually pulling us further and further away from that awareness and, and creating less space for us to step back. So how, how and this is it's easy to say, hey, get off your phone and you know, and meditate, right? That's easy to say. Uh, but the the conditioning we now have makes that even harder. I mean, have you got any theories around the, the way the digital world engages our neural structures versus the, the old-fashioned way. After, as you said, a hard day in the fields, we'd go and, you know, crack some yams, have a bit of, have a few beers and reflect and, and have, have some quiet time and sleep because we're exhausted because we're physical. Like it's, it's a pretty massive change in humanity and, and the way we use all the cells in our body, right? Sorry, long-winded long and quite broad question there, but... No, not at all. No, no, you, 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 you're spot on. <laughs> but I think, I, think, I think it's not... I think it, the digitization is just an extension of the factory line, the schooling system, the organizational structures, and even, dare I say, the religious structures that were all based on trying to keep a level of control so that people were dumbed down and following a system. When you are able to apply yourself to the system with an elevated consciousness, the system itself changes. The system itself is perceived differently. You engage with the tools in a very, very different way. And this goes back down to the idea that a surgeon's knife can kill you or save your life. It depends how you want to use it. Now, of course, technology and digitization has sort of coaxed us and created an illusion of a world out there that isn't really real. I mean, think about all the QAnon stuff and all the right-wing stuff that's been birthed out of social media. So, of course, it's got its 
absolute negative side of it, but also the proliferation of access to new things, new experiences and new tribes around the world are also available to us. So what I always suggest to my audiences around the world is, look, everything is neutral. It depends on your level of awareness. It depends on your level of consciousness and it depends on your courage. And let's just, just break down courage for a second because we can get swooped up into anything. You know, have you have any friends that got swooped up into a drug circle and never got out? Yes, that's a swooping up into an energy form. And so is digitization, another thing that we can be swooped up in. But courage has got many, many layers to it. And, and the first type of courage you must think about is, do we have the courage to be intelligent in the way we think and grasp new thoughts? Now, if we don't have the courage to think new thoughts, then we're stuck and the social media will suck us into whatever tells us that we need to be sucked into? Do we have the courage to be spiritually looking for our purpose, our curiosity, and our excitement out there? Most people are stuck into following a system and then complaining about the system itself, lacking courage in many ways. I don't think they know. They even know they need courage, though, because it comes down to, uh, you, you mentioned before, I'm not sure whether people even realize that in a, in a situation, they, they don't even have the awareness that courage is required. Their awareness is of their, of their situation. Uh, you said it very succinctly again in your in your TED talk around when slavery was a, a cultural norm. It was normal for slaves uh, before suffrage and women couldn't vote. Women not voting was just the norm, and everyone just kind of accepted it. I I've, I've certainly found you know in the last seventeen years traveling around the world and and also having a humanitarian projects business, living in Afghanistan, Dubai, and that part of the world was just how happy someone in Afghanistan could be uh, with a meal. However, the same satisfaction and joy uh, back here in Australia would be you know, the color of the seats on your BMW uh, were bespoke. This this normalization. And I, I want to explore that with you for a minute because when you talk about uh, someone's awareness or, or lack of, uh, my experience is people aren't aware and, and they don't know to be aware. How, how, do you, how do you create that? And I certainly know in myself sometimes I'm not aware. I, I am so absorbed in something that I've just and not wasting time or doing something that's not particularly good for myself. And I'm like, ah, where's my awareness gone? What, how do you know to be aware? Like, what is it? What, is there a mantra? Is there a, is there a practice? What, what do we do to help people with their realize you need awareness without disappearing down there, you know, their, their, their channel on Facebook and just being fed the same toxic, the same toxic information that they've become attached to. Look, again, another great question. Um, and let me just start off with saying that I'm, I'm always interested in the most cutting edge of human, human society, like, like the Formula One, right? The Formula One is on the cutting edge of motoring, and then it trickles that down into the mass market. The mass market itself, I don't know. I'm not a specialist in the mass market. I, 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 on the cutting edge of society where people have many luxuries and have got the time and energy to want to self-actualize, these questions become obvious. But we have to also think about is that by the time we're 35 years old, science has proven that we're having between 60 and 70,000 thoughts a day, of which 90% are the same thoughts. So mm. we have a, a neuroplasticity issue that is keeping us stuck and programmed into a level of software based on the hardware that's not able to readjust and become malleable. Think about putting an iOS 16 software into an iPhone 1. It just wouldn't have the capacity to hold it. So you're asking me is like, how do we get the masses to wake up? I really have no idea. I think the best thing we could do is wake ourselves up. And in mm. that ripple effect of waking ourselves up and then allowing that ripple to take care of how it needs to take care of things. So for example, what I do is I'm like a Trojan horse of consciousness that goes into speaking to governments and organizations, trying to get them to prepare for tomorrow. But all I'm actually doing without them really realizing is getting them to realize that if they don't elevate their consciousness and if they don't start thinking about thinking and reevaluating how they're adding value to the world, they're going to become irrelevant. But I don't come under the guise of a lentil eating, sandal wearing, Jesus looking <laughs> guy. I'm coming in speaking the, the, the futurist terminology, but just realize that if you don't have that level of consciousness, you're trapped in an old way of thinking. So I think the best thing we could do is to try and firstly live the example of it because there's a great saying that says, your actions are so loud, I can't hear a word you're saying. And so the first thing is act it. The second thing, 
try and explain it and, and, and sort of like ritualize the communication from that space of awareness. And then allow those souls that want to be awoken to wake up and the ones who don't, allow them to carry on living the lives that they need to too. I think a lot of people don't want to be awakened. I think they, I think being awake is a, is a, is a, is a threat. I guess woke is an iteration of awake. Uh, but, and so go back, you said before about going in and leaders and helping leaders gain, gain awareness. And I do a similar thing. It's, it's called situational awareness, which is just the ability to be on self-aware into awareness of the situation and your effect on other people and their effect on you and the fact that we we can influence that right so when you go when you go into a leadership group even the the best leadership group on the planet in that group you maybe have 20 i mean you can't put numbers on it but a smaller minority than a larger minority who have awareness right like it's a some people just have it and some people don't i think you can deliberately get it but i think people who deliberately get it are people that undergo some sort of treatment for their OCD or treatment for their depression. They, they understand cognitive behavioral therapy and they start to go through methodologies of, of, of comprehending what's going on with the feelings, the feelings, thoughts, and actions start to get connected. If you're in an environment where you're, you're in a team of leaders or, or a team and there's two people that are aware and they're leading 20 other people, how do they, and, and you're talking actions, how do they start a process to inspire awareness? The first thing I think we could do, and maybe the only thing we could do is help the team access an alpha brainwave. When you are able to access that alpha brainwave, everything else looks after itself. Courage is obvious. Creativity is obvious. Collaboration is obvious. All those things become an obvious extension of who you are. But in a high beta brainwave, all of those are against what your body tells you is available. So an organization will tell its people, I want you to think out the box, which is the worst corporate line in the history of corporate lines, because how -hmm. can you ask people that have been hired to bring stability to a existing system to think out of the system, away from their education, away from their legacy, to create a solution that might actually disrupt their own jobs Mm. and impossibility. And what I always tell my clients is, why didn't Mercedes-Benz come up with Tesla? And why didn't NASA come up with SpaceX? And why didn't mm-hmm. Google come up with OpenAI? And the reason is, mm-hmm. is that everybody in those decision-making processes are addicted to a high beta brainwave, focused on a short outcome, focused on the quality profits, focused on modifications. The system itself doesn't allow you to step out. The system itself forces you to step back in. And so what I do is I start many of my strategy sessions with a 20-minute meditation. I give you the theory of what's going to happen to your brain, why it's necessary for it to happen to your brain. And then as we move into an alpha brainwave, you start to access different parts of your brain, different parts of your creativity, different parts of who you are. And now you can start to think laterally. And now you can start to see things in a very different way. Now, the example I always use is the person who goes on holiday, the version of you that goes on holiday is a high beta, high beta brainwave version of you irritated at the world, scared of the future, highly anxious, can't sleep, um, restless in many ways. Five days into the holiday, what starts happening? Mm -hmm. You start accessing the alpha brainwave version of you. All of a sudden, you have all these new ideas. You have all these things that you're writing down, lists of things Mm. you should do that when you get back to life, it's like you spend more time with your kids, eat better, exercise more. All of a sudden, you have all this energy to think laterally. And by the time you get back from holiday, your husband doesn't irritate you. The kid's noise is okay. That pothole that you drove over is all good. That muppet at work doesn't irritate you. And at three hours back at work, you'd say the exact term, I can't even remember I was on holiday. And what you're actually saying is, I clicked out of an alpha creative brainwave and moved into a mm. beta brainwave, which is all about survival. And mm, so mm-hmm. we have to, as leaders in organizations, think about the brain that we are accessing of the people we're working with. So if your culture is so focused on outcomes and profitability only, then allow them to continue thinking on that track. Hire a different team to think creative. You can't get one team to do both. And I'm not saying everybody should be creative. Some people need to be there and stuck to deadlines because you need profitability to be coming in to pay for the tomorrow teams. But you also can't be asking the same people to be doing both. I think that is a big, big mistake because you're asking people to think differently. 
become AI specialists, data specialists, understand the future of consumerism, where everything they've been trained in has been legacy. And so now you're asking people with legacy to think about things in different ways, which is an impossibility. So are where we now a result of a overstimulation of the beta brain within our leadership that allows people without awareness just to follow a pathway that isn't leading to what you could perceive as anything great. I, I mean, you look at the world, right? We're, we're always flooded with, you know, climate change, politics, war. The flip side, there's a lot of good things happen as well. Uh, we are, we are evolving very, very cleverly, but at, at the same time, it kind of feels like that is actually becoming a balance that's turning a little bit uh, in, in terms of, let's, let's say, for example, you, you know, you're, you're a Persian, uh, you grew up in uh, South Africa, uh, you obviously grew up in an environment where there was a period of great hope, a period of awareness and actualization, and some would say that that is no longer the case. Right, that that there's a a regression um, and and another, I guess, retreat back to within ourselves rather rather than the greater good. Another big question, and I'd, I'd rather ask the big questions than just talk about you know the, the 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 low level stuff. And you probably don't have an answer for this, but you know what is what is going on that and and the importance of the gravitas of one individual. So someone like Nelson Mandela, for, you know, someone who has that actions over words. Is humanity designed to only have four, five, six leaders at any point in time? The Martin Luther Kings, the Gandhis, the, uh, the uh, Obamas that have some degree of actualization and selflessness, Mother Teresa, that, that, that people latch onto because obviously the masses love to latch onto that story, right? If, if, if they're given the opportunity. Hi, oh, it's Boo here. If you're enjoying these episodes of The Few, please show your support by leaving a review. It costs you nothing, and the more reviews we have, the better guests we can reach out and bring onto the show to help you close the gap between what you want and where you are today even faster and help you on your journey to become one of the few too. So at a macro scale, in terms of 8 billion humans, where do these people come from? Is it born? Is it bred? Your journey as a five-year-old to where you are now, is it just a, is it just a different, like, just different 60,000 thoughts a day, naturally? I, I, you know, again, great question. I think that everybody's on their own path and everybody requires a different level of consciousness uh, and a mission to reach. I would imagine that the people in the Tibetan mountains think that we are Neanderthals when it comes to our emotional awareness. And you have people that are in absolute survival in Afghanistan and Pakistan in Karachi and those sort of places. So I think we have 8 billion movies playing on with 8 billion mm. different tasks and missions that are happening. And I don't think we need to try and like make everybody in the same system. So I, I, I'm not, I, I don't think that's necessary. But I do think that if we just think about the South African context, we realize that there has been so much trauma in that country and so much oppression and so much killing since the 1600s that all of that emotional lineage pain has not been processed. And so, of course, we will have a country that will initially celebrate its freedom, but then go back into the process of playing out the unhealed um, trauma that, that the country's had. America is going through something very similar at the moment as well in a different way. But unhealed sadness shows up as anger. And sadness and anger are linked to survival. And so if you think about what the country's doing, it's in survival mode based on a lack of an emotional healing of sadness and anger. And so we find ourselves in the wild, wild west because everybody's for themselves. Everybody is now in this hyper survival mode, all based on a lack of emotional intelligence. And what Nelson Mandela did was practice one thing and only one thing the power to forgive and he mm. became a world icon for one thing the ability to mm. forgive and what he did on robin island was obviously must have elevated his consciousness in a way because in that new mm. type of consciousness there was nobody to be angry with I'll, I'll give you a quote to land this a little bit for you einstein said many many years ago he said the medicine of the future will be the medicine of frequency 
Now, let's just understand what frequency is. Frequency is based on our electronic frequency, resonance. Mm. Our mm. electronic Energy, resonance yeah. is based mm. on the way we think, act, and feel. Our personality creates this resonance. And so now what happens is that we get so stuck in this 90% of a loop that we don't have the awareness to pop out of it to change the thought processes so that we can have a different resonance to have a new awareness. And that's what Madiba did. Mandela changed these resonance, changed these awareness. And obviously in the new state of awareness, there was nothing to hold a grudge against, understanding that that actually was a lower energy. So I think as the world we have, and I think since the beginning of history, since we've been learning from it, there's always been an enlightened few to come and help us. We're all the way back from Jesus to Muhammad to mm. keep going, mm. Moses. We've always had these characters showing up. I think in today's world, what we're starting to see is a proliferation of these characters, all the way from mm. influencers that are helping spiritual bubblegumers to uh, sort of wake up and, and, and move in that sort of direction, um, all the way up to people that are doing incredible things, channeling alien beings and all sorts of weird and wonderful things on the right hand side. So you have right a range of all of these things happening. So I don't think that we're in massive trouble. I do think that there's layers and pockets of incredible consciousness that's growing around the world. And my mission, and I, what I say always is my mission is to bring optimism to the world. And if you can bring more optimism to the world, what you start to do is you elevate the consciousness and together as a team in collaboration, we can start to work in better ways. So yes, there is a lot of strife and yes, there's a lot of breakdown and a lot of implosion. But remember, you always need winter before spring. And we are once, in winter. Um, it's very, very games of thronish, thronish mate. Uh, one of the things I, I heard once, which I thought was quite insightful, was it was in war. There is no one perceives themselves as the bad guy. So when, in any conflict, no, no matter who you are, you don't go into the conflict saying, hey, I'm the baddie here, right? Uh, and one of the challenges, I guess, with influences and information is it amplifies everything. So it, it amplifies the light, but it also amplifies the dark. Uh, and as a, as a result, there's still this requirement for human connection and mentorship and aspiration to draw people uh, to draw people the right and as i'm saying this i'm just realizing i'm actually just drawing uh mental priming from the ted talk i watched from you later because you talk about this as well right and i'm a big believer in the uh, not not metaphorical dark and light sort of the energy right uh so on that on that note there's nothing we're going to do about that everything is going to be amplified we're, we're coming into a hyper awareness now of, of everything but not necessarily hyper contextualized awareness so let's bring it back to the self-awareness uh you're you're ov obviously on a on a pathway of, of enlightenment connected with this at a very young age but for you as well there must be the dark and the light uh, so despite the fact of, of this awareness and despite the fact that you you know how to elevate there must be times in your life where you, you do feel a little bit on, on the flip side and part one of the uh, I guess themes of the few here is to help people be comfortable that that is a part of life, but also potentially ways that we can work to to get ourselves out of there. So, was there was there one point in your life where you felt was particularly dark, or particularly at the bottom of a hole that you needed to claw your way out? And and if so, what was it? What was the light that that lifted you and provided that the 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 direction? So, um, you know, one 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 of the one of the pillars of courage is emotional courage and emotional courage is about sitting in that pain body and i think that many of us want to avoid that pain body as quickly as possible so what we do is we spend our lives running away from actually emotional courage and so first and foremost what i learned was the gift of sitting with that lower energy of yours because what happens when you sit with it for a little while it starts to fade it only chases you because you're trying to avoid it. So the two dark points that I've had in my life was at 31, I went bankrupt. I was a multimillionaire in my 20s, had many restaurants, vending machines, retail stores, I had a whole bunch of different things going on. At 31, I lost everything. I, I joked in one of my first talks, I called, I changed my name to Carlos, which because I lost my car and I lost my house and I lost my business, I lost everything. I lost my personality, I lost who I was. I went into a deep depression, you know, and I began my journey with shamanic work and I started doing ayahuasca and San Pedro and, and really started to dive deeper into meditation. And for like three, four years, I really started to figure out my psyche. And so 
I started to seek out teachers, um, listen to podcasts, and just spent hours and hours engaging with this type of information. And then the second dark point I had was in my 40s, early 40s, when I went divorced, when I got divorced. And mm. that also was a deep, deep, painful and embarrassing situation. Mm. And again, I had to dive deep into more shamanic work, more men's work, more consciousness mm. work, you know? And so for the last 17 years or so, I have been on this journey to try and unpack as many of the onion layers as possible. And what's happened in the sort of repercussions of this is I've become a global teacher about it because of my own seeking and desire and fascination of my own psyche. I now help other people try and understand it and try and simplify it so that they can jump into it as quickly as possible and as easily as possible. So I think it's important for us to practice something called agile optimism. And oh. what agile optimism is, is the behavior of optimism, no matter what is coming. And when you're able to practice agile optimism, it means it's okay to be down. It's okay to be jealous. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be all those things and to sit with the okayness of it being okay. And in that state, you start to realize that you are actually a huge orchestra of, emo of, of emotion. And what society has taught us and maybe forced us into and what religion has definitely done has made half of our instruments bad. And so what mm -hmm. we've done is we've judged half of those instruments. We've judged it when we feel human. We're human because we've come to experience human emotions. We've come to experience mm -hmm. gluttony and addictions and all these things. These are all part of the human condition that we've come to experience. And so I think the first idea I always remind myself when I do fall back into that old habit is agile optimism, is I am human. I am here to experience these things. Let me experience them and uh, let me try and sit with them and then seek counsel. And that's what I always do is I sit with something, I meditate on it, and then I seek counsel. And I've got a bunch of different coaches that I tap into to try and give me some clarity um, of, of a trauma, of a, of a, of a trigger that uh, shows itself up, which happens often. But hundreds, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, we spin three to four generations in a lifetime what what's the point like what's the point of it what's the point of humanity what, what, why do we bother i think from our le our level of awareness um again let's let's just remember that our eyes can see 0.0003 percent of the potential light out there in the universe mm -hmm. which shows mm -hmm. us that we have a very very thin sliver of experience in reality Mm. Our brains, as they say, is using between 8 and 10% of our brains, which means we got 90% dormant. Think about the junk DNA. We're only using 3 or 4% of our DNA, um, meaning that we just haven't even tapped into the potential of what the hell is possible. And what we do often is from our current state of awareness, don't see a point to the whole human experience. But if you've ever done shamanic work and if you've ever gone into an altered state using plants, you start being shown new realities, new slithers of light, new potentialities, new reasons. And when you start to get that perspective of your soul's journey, you start to realize that actually all of it is just a playground for your soul to experience itself and to learn certain lessons. And so without getting too esoteric and depending how far you want to go down that route, is that- No, let's get esoteric. Uh, let's, let's, let's get esoteric because I don't get the opportunity to go esoteric very often. Uh, there's, I read a book many years ago. It's called Proof of Heaven by Dr. Uh, Evan Alexander. And it's, I don't know if you've read it. It's a neurosurgeon's guide to the afterlife, basically. Uh, and he talks about uh, when people uh, clinically explain- the level of awareness he had when he went into a coma and, and lost effectively his consciousness died, but the rest of the brain survived. Right. And he talks about the, it's inexplicable. Like the level of awareness you have is beyond words. It's beyond the forms of communication that we use and that the all powerful arm and the energy and the, and the feeling and he's made it his life's mission to try and explain it as, as, as best he can, uh, which I guess goes to, you know, what you're talking about, beta, it's got to be logical. If it's not logical, it, it doesn't make sense. So yeah, I'm happy. Let's go esoterical, mate. Let's keep, let's keep lifting it up here into, uh, let's challenge some people, challenge some leaders. Well, look, I think, I think what we have to realize is that our existing thinking is not what's out there. 
this is a, a, a this is a version of our understanding of reality and we have to think about potentiality of worlds out there that don't make sense to us right now so everything i'm about to say to you now has only come to me in an altered state it's never been there mm. in my current state because mm. in my current state i'm programmed to only believe what is action by my five senses so if i can't see it taste it touch it feel it or hear it it's rubbish and mm. doesn't exist and you must be hallucinating but think about the level of arrogance that we have that to think that only our five senses only have the 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 sort of um, secrets to the universe and so for me thinking about the esoteric side of it which was actually was it not told in that Pixar animated movie was it called Soul? Soul? I think it was called Soul. I don't know if you've seen it, but it shows. Well, there was you yeah, Soul in... or the other one where they had the they had the the consciousness as well. I can't remember what that was called. Both both quite that, insightful that... movies. But exactly, yes, exactly. Both of those <laughs> were very esoteric, very very esoteric because they were showing. We well, can watch it two different ways, form. right? Of it's, course, that, that's the of beauty of it. You can, yeah. yeah. Just like Star Wars, but uh, yeah, no, keep going. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Just like all movies, in fact, actually, you can yeah. see it from all angles, I would imagine. So look, I think our soul's journey is a process of evolving, learning, experiencing. And we often are taught by altered state teachers that we have chosen our parents and our situation to learn certain lessons. And in fact, when we die, it feels like we're waking up from a long dream. And so we have to take these things into consideration because when we do, life becomes more playful. It doesn't become a total and end result of everything that we're up to. So these esoteric ideas, I never share with audiences like this or in my corporate audiences because it just is, it's too far out there. And really what I want people to do is access that version of themselves through a neuroscience practice to give them the ability to add value in a world that's changing. And so I'm trying to take that esoteric world and I'm trying to bridge it into the corporate world, you know? It's not a world you can tell people about. You can only show them a door, right? And then it's the, leave it with them. I'm not sure if you've ever come across or read Anil Seth's work uh, around consciousness and his latest book, which is called Being You. And you said it before about mushrooms and hallucination. But as a neuroscientist, Anil Seth, conceptualize consciousness as a controlled hallucination that there is no reality the the, the the mere the mere way our brain structures information is a hallucination based on our perception of of reality uh, and, and if you if you dust off and look at the the anatomy of a decision the anatomy of decision is perception and and as a result your perception based on a hallucination no wonder we can't make great decisions or we wonder why we can't control the world uh, well, well we even we've even started calling ai's uh, mistakes hallucinations um yeah. <laughs> just like our own hallucinations you know what i mean and we we are in a consistent hallucination governed by five senses sorry mate now you talk about future right future of future of work future of of people and it's actually a, a theme i'm i'm uh, super fascinated too as well uh, by as well um, when we look at ai though and, and you look at the singularity event and consciousness and, and all the rest of it, as it stands at the moment in the short term, you know, to help explain people what AI is, 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 is AI like having a smart, as far as we can access it, whether it's through chat GPT or our use of AI, it's, it's consciousness is a hard word to use here because when you look, I'm, I'm probably talking about the subconscious for a human where, where we can access the feelings, thoughts, and emotion, and we contextualize information, whereas AI can only at the moment learn based on data, right? And log logic thinking. Uh, so first question is, what does that mean for us? The best way we can use it? How would you describe AIs if it, if it had a human form? And at which point does it become a human and we need to get worried? I've got a little bit of a stretched imagination about AI and I'll tell you, I think it's an alien entity. I think it's already super conscious. It's feeding us in drips to get us to become comfortable with it. I don't, I, I don't think That's we're creating awesome. it. I think it's, it's much more ahead of us, right? There was a great documentary I watched which spoke about marijuana, apples, dogs, and potatoes. It was Michael Pollan. 
And what he said in that documentary was, he said, whose consciousness used whose? Because he said, apples are the most widely spread fruit in the world, eaten by more humans than any other fruit. Did apples use humans or humans use apples? Mm. Dogs, the consciousness of dogs, the most widespread animal, most loved, most revered, most looked after, who used who? And so yeah. I think, again, from our current state of awareness, we would like to think in our arrogance and our small perspective of reality that AI is coming. No, no, AI has arrived and is dripping to us. And I think it's actually an alien form. I think it has its own sort of consciousness already. So what I, what I think is that just like you can't compete with a car and a factory, your brain in its current form can't compete with AI. And so what we should stop doing is worrying about being smarter because we're not mm. worried about being stronger. Nobody here is training to work a, a, a farm for 24 hours a day, six days a week. Nobody is because we've given up on mm. that idea. Mm. We're like, okay, let the machines mm. do it. And so what we mm. are right now is in a panic state trying to figure out how do we outsmart the smartest thing in the universe that's arrived all of a sudden mm. that's a billion, going to be, by the reckon by 2049, it'll be a billion times smarter than humans. So let's stop mm. trying to be smart. Let's mm. actually start to measure wisdom, which is emotional currency, not intelligence currency. And so we are actually in the, in the war, not of fighting AI, but fighting our own understanding of our potential and so what we have to do is stop thinking about IQ and start thinking about EQ and AQ. And these two new cues, emotional intelligence, awareness um, quotient, adaptability quotient, all of these, the malleability of your brain and the access to your own consciousness become your currency of the future. They've never been a currency before. I, I'm loving this conversation. I'm on board. Uh, completely and it, and it, and it t totally makes sense. But I think there's an FQ as well. I think there's an emotional quotient, which is emotion in terms of the physical manifestation of a feeling, but in terms of just a feeling, which you can sit with in your alpha waves as well. I, th I think we've, I think we're too busy trying to be happy or sad rather than content or forgiving. Uh, there's those, if we just pull outside the emotion into the feelings a little bit more, but I remember watching a movie I can't remember what it was, but it was the premise was it was AI and AI was killing all the humans, right? And they're like, why, you know, why are you killing us? Because it's like, well, because you're killing the planet. You're you're killing yourself, actually. And what I'm doing is thinning out the numbers to make sure that what's left can actually survive on what the universe has has provided for you. And and I think what AI is going to do is going to ask a lot of questions that we're deeply uncomfortable answering as humanity. Yeah, look, I mean, again, it's such a big topic. I mean, I, I, I don't know which way to go about it. All I am doing in my own personal state and with my family and my friends around me is I am focused on accessing more human, accessing more parts of ourselves that haven't been accessed before. Do you not feel, though, that the world conspires to... Like, I, I went through a stage in my life where I basically said, mate, you just got to practice ignorance because if you don't practice ignorance, you're just going to go crazy because you're going to have no one to talk to uh and there's probably a bit of arrogance there, i don't know but but do you not find sometimes that you're in a position where you're like i i can't actually express this to its fullest fullest potential here because you, no, people just don't get it like like they just they're not there yet they look at they're like cuckoo cuckoo yeah every <laughs> single minute of every day uh i go through that because i'm I'm trying to, because also look, there's people out there that think I'm a dumb dumb in this information. So it's not, it's not like mm -hmm. my level of arrogance. It's just my level of understanding of it based on my own research has gotten me to this point where I find less and less people on the same sort of frequency, but that's fine because you'll have new friends that will show up and will, will understand you. Um, maybe your current friends and family won't. So the, the, the idea is, is that keep, Keep accentuating yourself and find new ways to distribute the energy in actions and in words that allow other people to join you on the journey as well. It's not that they're not there, they're just not understanding it as deeply as you do. Mm. And so I think, I, and what you're doing with this podcast and I imagine in your personal life is trying to help people alleviate some of that stress and anxiousness mm. and to, to, to get them to, to, to kind of like, like elevate or up mm. their game, you know, in new ways. Yeah, level and I up. always tell my audience, mm. level up. I said, the future is not about another MBA. The future is not another PhD. The future is not about 
the old things we thought that would get us ahead. The future is about an mm. emotional wisdom and the access of your own genius and curiosity and allowing that to become your currency that you move into the future with, which is 180 degrees different from the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution was fit into the system. The future requires you to fit out of the system mm. because the commoditization of all services is just around the corner, which means that everything that we once used to do and learned will start becoming free. And it already has. Think about music and photos and communication. And I mean, mm. all these things are free already. Now move into computing power, energy, transportation, services. Mm. This is all just coming. So what we have to do is we have to get away from panic. We have to elevate our consciousness and then start to find new levels of uh, answers and uh, new new ideas that will come from a new level of consciousness. Yeah, I think also we need to find things that keep people busy. I think we're designed to be busy, and one of the one of the up we, we, when we were you know, pre agrarian culture, we were busy surviving, right? So that that was busy. Uh, then we were busy toiling the fields, and then industrial revolution, we're busy getting in the mines. But all of a sudden now, I, I think we're busy because it, there's not much to be busy about, and we're busy of doing the wrong things. And I remember reading a fascinating survey about people getting put into a white room with their own thoughts for 15 minutes. Uh, and and the, the test subjects were connected to a piece of electricity and 65% of the people would rather give themselves an electric shock than spend 15 minutes by themselves. We'd, we'd, ra we'd rather do something even if it's wrong than, than, than sit there and reflect and, and be left alone well, uh, with our thoughts. Well, or, or, all of that is based on a high beta brainwave. Mm. If you had an alpha brainwave, you would welcome that 15 minutes and in fact, revel in it. In a high beta brainwave, when your body's in survival and full of adrenaline, there could be nothing worse than sitting and waiting for the lion to come and eat you. Yeah, which is, and again, when you talk, when you read books like Proof of Heaven, it's it's basically says that's what the universe equipped you to do. That's all all it gave you because that's all you needed. Uh, that that that's that's why you have the level of awareness that the universe has given you. Yes, but it's time for us to bump our level of awareness. It's time. This is the time that we need to be elevating who we are as humans. Otherwise, we will become irrelevant in the world of AI. And as Yuval Harari calls it, the useless class will start to emerge. Mm. And we're not talking about useless people. We're talking about accountants and lawyers who will become useless over the yeah. next few years. Mm. In me, experts in their fields, mm. we're, we're mm. pointless. Uh, you can ask ChatGPT4 for a better strategy session than McKinsey can write for you with yeah, many exactly. more opportunities. And yeah, so that whole thing is up for grabs now. So the first thing to do, panic. No. First thing to do, elevate. <laughs> Shift from panic to elevate, and you'll start to find new answers. Uh, John, two, I've got two final questions. The first one is, was there a moment, I, I personally had a moment uh, in my 30s, just about the time I got divorced, that I met uh, someone who was a spiritual leader, but not in a, wore, wore no labels, wasn't, 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 uh, 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 didn't have any religious branding, basically. Was just someone who was very, very wealthy, very successful, but just understood post ego, understood spirituality, understood you know, the, the whole connection. And for me, that it was honestly a half hour conversation that transformed my perspective. That that was powerful. Was there a moment in time for you? I know earlier, just before the podcast, you sort of said when you're like five, you sort of felt something, some curiosity about the future. But was was there a moment when you felt a switch from on the tools to ah, there's there's more? Was it that? That bait, obviously, building a business to the point it was at size, there's a lot of beta wave going on there, right? Like building a business like that, it's like hard charging every day. You know, what synthetics can I put inside my body to just keep me going, going, going? Um, was there a moment in time, or was it more, I guess, slow? If I if I had to pin it down to a moment, um, I think it was listening to Dao De Ching by Wayne Dyer on repeat for a year, and. I listened to that audiobook. I can recite it for you. I listened to it so much. And Dr. Wow. Wayne Dyer took out a year and he took the 81 verses and spent four days on each verse. And by the end of doing that, he gave away everything. He gave away his house, his clothes. He gave everything away. And he realized that that's really why he was here and what he was doing. And I think that Dao De Ching really helped me start to realize that the chase. And there's a, there's a verse in the Dao De Ching mm. that says, oh, the game of ambition, the game of a fool. And it was such mm. an aha moment when I heard that. It's like, you think that the energy that keeps the stars aligned and keeps the earth moving 
is now not as smart as you are in your ambition mm -hmm. of trying to squeeze it in a different way. And it was the first time I realized that this constant chase and anxiousness, the fear of not being enough was a just a program. And it's taken me years and still to this day, it's much better today, but it took me years from that catalyst to uh, really start to sort of like fall comfortable within myself. And so Tao Te Ching by Dr. Wayne Dyer comes to mind. That's awesome. And so I presume uh, the, the question I like to close out on is the question, the, the, the advice you'd give yourself back when you were a teenager uh, and, and the one kernel, it's obviously read that book, but uh, the one little thing that you would say uh, to your teen self if you had 60 seconds in front of them that you feel would either accelerate your journey or bring more comfort to the journey what would that what would that insight be you can do no wrong and the reason i say that is religion made me feel that i was constantly wrong mm. i was in a constant state of guilt so i would have human urges and then i wasn't allowed and so that judgment of self slowed me down brought punishment to myself brought all sorts of weird and wonderful things that happened to me that were uncomfortable. And in my, in, in, in the last few years, I've really started to realize that being a human is why we're here. We're here to express humanness. We're not here to express spirit. We're not here to be perfect. We're not here adhering to be some Jesus or Buddha. In fact, we're here to be human. And in that acceptance of that, you start to really feel into yourself rather than judge yourself. And so the high beta brainwave has got a constant critic in its head, in your head, constantly telling you that you're too fat, too ugly, not rich enough, uh, all these things that society's told you. And so in parallel of moving myself more and more into alpha brainwave, I meditate two, three hours a day, depending on how much time I have, moving into that alpha brainwave, the judgment of self starts to fall away. And when you start to take away that judgment of yourself, access to energy and creativity you have is exponential. And so the only thing I tell myself at 17 years old is you can do no wrong, my boy. Just go out there, mm. do your best, be kind, but you can do no wrong. It's okay to be horny. It's okay to want to drink. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. All of those things are okay. In fact, that's why you're here. And that's been a big, big release. That's very powerful. Look, John, I really enjoyed this conversation. I, I, it's, it's, it's also just helped me frame up some things again and, and reconnect at another level uh, and to allow me my own permissions and for me to let go of my own beat away, which for me is very powerful with the, my ADHD. Uh, so it's, it's been great to, to, to connect with that um, again. Look, John, if, if people uh, want to find you, uh, they want to have your wisdom imparted, uh, on them, hopefully the esoterical stuff. Uh, where's what's the best way for uh, enlightened or those seeking awareness to to find you? Thank you so much uh, for giving me the opportunity to share that. Um, out of eight billion people in the world, I don't know how I've become so lucky, but <laughs> there's only one John Sane in the world. <laughs> I've looked up other John Sanes. There are no other John Sanes. So S A N E I is my surname. John J O H N. I'm across all social channels. My website's always been updated. I have a newsletter called Grand Rising. I have a podcast called The Expansive. And I'm constantly sharing everything that I'm researching and, and learning so we can help the world become more optimistic, more collaborative, and just in a better mood to deal with uncertainty. And in fact, move from fearing uncertainty to enjoying uncertainty to reveling in uncertainty. And that becomes the mission at hand. That's what that's awesome, mate. Uh, and it makes us more brother from another. I'm the only Christian Bacusas on the entire planet as well out of eight million, <laughs> eight million people. Uh, John, good. look, we didn't even we didn't even get on to generosity and giving. Uh, we didn't even touch on that on, on this podcast. Yeah. So maybe that opens yeah. the door to uh, have you on here again. It'll be, uh, it'll be I a would wonderful love uh, opportunity for me and guests. So thank you again. Thanks so much, John. Well, that wraps another episode of The Few. And I'd like to thank our partners without whom this episode wouldn't be possible. Firstly, Ode Management, an organization that brings world-class speakers into your event or organization to make a profound impact on your people to deliver the results that you want. And Afterburner, real-life fighter pilots, a team of men and women who for the past 25 years 
have helped organizations surpass their expectations, learning the tips and tricks fighter pilots use to win 98% of the time. If you enjoyed the show, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast, The Few with Boo, or our YouTube channel. It's been an absolute pleasure sharing the stories of these remarkable people with you. I hope that helps you keep the dream alive, but more importantly, equips you with a few ideas of how to turn those dreams into reality to help you become one of the few too.